Are you sheltering in place, isolated, feeling alone? <coughs> well, then you're just like us. Hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the quarantined hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Shut-In, the Soundcast stimulus package featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And now, here's your host for this episode, Mark Hershaw. Mark Hershaw. Mark Hershaw. That is our erstwhile booth announcer, Bill Haywatt who opens and closes each and every episode of Succotash Shut-In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package. This is Epi 205, and I am your every other edition host, Mark Hershon, switching off with the inimitable Tyson Saner. And we are doing our best during this time of pandemic, and since the most recent installment, Extreme Civic Unrest, to bring you fresh comedy sound tidbits every week. I have a special treat for you this week, departing from playing a sampling of several comedy soundcasts to, instead, bring you a conversation I held via Skype with comedian, writer, raconteur, and friend of the show, Greg Proops. You likely know Greg from his years of appearing on TV's Whose Line Is It Anyway, both before they added the question mark to the title and afterwards. He's also been soundcasting for years with his show, The Smartest Man in the World, and wrote The Smartest Book in the World, in 2015. He's got a list of TV and movie creds you can check out on imdb.com as well. Greg and I go a long way back to when we were both with the House Improv Comedy Group at the Punchline in San Francisco starting in 1986. We run into each other every couple of years at things like the San Francisco Sketch Fest or Comedy Day in Golden Gate Park. But since the last time we had Greg on the show was a couple of times back in 2015, for a full episode in May of that year, and in a mini-sode I put together during the fourth annual Los Angeles Podcast Festival in September, it seemed a good time to bring him back on. Like many of the rest of us, Greg has been sequestered at home during the current COVID-19 crisis, which for him is in Los Angeles. He and his wife Jennifer have been continuing to do episodes of The Smartest Man in the World from their Fortress of Proopitude. And we get into that in the upcoming discussion. We also talk about what the state of live performing might be like if and when things open back up more fully, what it's like to do comedy for audiences via Zoom, and we also talk about our mutual friend, Will Durst, who is still recovering from a stroke suffered last fall. All of that chatter and more coming up uninterrupted following this word from our sponsor, Henderson's Pants, and their new Peer Sucker Pants. Hello, friends. It's that time again. But then again, isn't it always that time? That time when you need a favor from a friend or acquaintance who is just a little bit better placed than you on the food chain? Well, nothing says, lend me a hand, better than a pair of Henderson's Peer Sucker Pants. That's right. I said Peer Sucker. Because although these high-quality trousers are made of 100% seersucker for a durable, comfortable wear, it's the little extras that your friends in high places are going to notice, setting you apart from the rest of the toadies right away. They'll see the built-in knee pads and scuff-proof finish right away. Upon closer inspection, they're bound to notice the breakaway codpiece and retractable cheek flaps. Finally, the Peer Sucker recessed hip-mounted ashtray and beverage caddy will put you over the top when it comes to being their A number one choice when it's time to be voted most likely to earn their favor the hard way. 
Originally designed for the boys in the mailroom, the males in the boys' room, and the boars in the boardroom, Henderson's Pure Sucker Pants are available wherever people are working hard to claw their way to the middle. That's Henderson's turning out pants like they're going out of style, which they usually are, since 1904, and now back to Succotash. The last time you graced our presence on Succotash, you and I were sitting in a very crowded cafe in L.A. That's right, in the King's Road. The King's Road, exactly. And what we wouldn't give to be back there today, right now. Right. Although they're starting to do kind of a wide opening down here in L.A., which I don't really approve of, and I noticed that the Blue Bottle Coffee Shop in my neighborhood has reopened. It had been completely closed. And that, uh, what are they doing? Are they? I mean, are they letting like three people in or something like that? I don't know because I won't go in. I try to really limit, you know, I'll go to a grocery store or whatever. But uh, I don't approve of, I, I think the reason why we're having any success is because everyone's had to stay home. I agree with that. Um, which is why I'm glad my uh, the company I work for is making sure that uh, everybody stays put in their homes. And that's around the world. We've got, like, offices around the world. Everybody's hunk- hunkering down, as the newscasters well, like to say. To I mean, I see people walking down my street, uh, you know, not wearing masks and running around. And it's like, it's this isn't summer camp, you guys. No, I know. I'm in Sausalito, and the place every weekend is just flooded with tourists. And uh, the mask has become a fashion accessory. They wear, like, hiked up around their elbow. Right? Uh, Why why are there tourists in Sausalito? What are they – is anything open? uh, There's – yeah, I mean, you can stand in line and get coffee or ice cream or stuff like that. They've got things – They've got curb service, and people just love riding their bikes over here. Yeah, fair enough. So it's crazy. And then the traffic out to the beaches is, it's like, what are people thinking? I don't know. I don't know why some people will treat this like it's a summer vacation instead of the serious business of trying to end this. Every time you're in contact with a big group of people, man, you're spreading the vectors of disease. There's just no room. I don't mean to be PD pandemic about the whole fucking thing, but <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I think London Breed uh, is the mayor of the year. You know, she wasn't doing that well with the constituency, and then she shut it down before everyone else did, and it really, really made a big difference. Uh, I think that is making a big difference. And you see these pictures of people in the Ozarks. <laughs> oh, God. The swimming. <laughs> or Florida. And it's and the people that think it's against their freedoms to have to wear a mask is just, it just seems insane. It's not against your freedoms to have to wear pants. Or use a seatbelt. Uh, yeah. So, which is a law. And not use the phone when you drive, which is a law. It's all for your safety. It's, it's, you know, it's really white entitlement, isn't it, Mark? I mean, these white people really feel like they have the right to order anyone around uh, to die for them, meaning all the people of color who work at the grocery stores and restaurants and stuff. They're supposed to go out there and work, but you're supposed to be able to go get a haircut or, you know, swim in the Ozarks or whatever. And these people walking around with the automatic weapons. The answer to that is for women and black people to go walking around with automatic weapons in white people's spaces and see how they bloody like it, because that wouldn't last two seconds. No, not at all. Not at all. Let's talk a little bit more about this whole pandemic thing, how it's affecting you in terms of since we're on a sound cast right now and you're continuing to produce yours. 
Oh yes, from home, but it's not uh, it's not Bar Lubitsch. It's not out there in the world in the free world. No, it isn't, and that's the biggest bummer. Is uh, the best part about it is, of course, I get to spend a lot more time with my wife. And uh, although, even though I was on the road last year, you know, maybe a couple hundred days, uh, because I don't have a regular job, I do get I get to spend more time with Jennifer than than most people get to spend with their wives. You know, we get to go to England and, and places like that for weeks at a time and spend all day and all night together. Um, having said that, uh, putting putting her on the podcast uh, last year or putting her when she joined, I mean, she was always the heart of it because all the topics were driven by her. And, you know, <laughs> her, her she's smarter than I am and has much more breadth <laughs> of knowledge. So... Uh, it's always kind of been her show. And then um, when I had to have a couple eye surgeries in the last few years, she joined up. And, and so it's been fun, especially the last few weeks, because the tragedy of this is that so many um, old jazz musicians are dying and some young ones. They tend to be African-American. And we've had a lot of music on the show lately. Um, Your last episode was... Uh... Really fascinating and wonderful to listen to. Um, you were playing a lot of different music from one artist, which was just amazing. And yeah, Mate, the cat from Guinea in Africa, who makes that beautiful, really upbeat African pop that's just lush. And of course, we've been on a little Richard binge for three weeks. Of course, <laughs> the more you read about him, the better he gets. And then you find out all these other things, like he he went back to a, a historic black university in the south after he quit the business in like 58 and it was because he had you know reading issues and he needed to be in a place where he felt comfortable and he was a, de a devoted student and evidently really generous to everyone all the guys at his funeral that had been in his band said they all owed him money when he died really <laughs> <laughs> and his quotes are just the greatest like uh, i used to be conceited now i'm convinced you know <laughs> and <laughs> he's just he gives and gives. And also the fact that he had uh, James Brown, uh, I mean, at various times in his band was Otis Redding, Jimi Hendrix, and Billy Preston. And when he was a kid, he used to open for Sister Rosetta Tharp, who's one of the people that invented rock and roll. Um, so his, his place in music history is just ridiculous, you know. How has it changed things for you doing it this way without having sort of response from the live audience. It's like trying to do improv or stand up without having people the way you do your podcast. Often you're in some place that has a live crowd. So how's that vibe sort of changed the way you and Jennifer have been doing the show? Well, exactly. We try to keep it a little more extemporaneous. Um, it always was. I love doing it in front of a crowd. And in fact, I'm doing a virtual one um, this Saturday at seven at a place called the nowhere comedy club. Uh, the comics, Ben Glebe and Steve Hofstetter set it up. They had both already been doing like virtual comedy. Like Glebe was the first person to do like a whole set on Facebook, Yeah, you know? So they were already kind of in a position when this happened to jump right in because they had the tech solved. So dig, you play in front of a live crowd and you can see them on your computer, Mark. Oh, cool. So everyone's at home with their baseball hat on or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> um, you, I dress up, of course, and do it from the kitchen. 
and um, with a spoon instead of a microphone. And uh, <laughs> we've done a couple of stand-up shows for them already. And Ben Glebe and I did an improv show. And you're like, so how does improv work when there's the audience is virtual? You can hear them in your earphones. Yeah. So you get the response. And they're not to heckle or anything, but every once in a while you hear a dog bark or, you know, <laughs> someone drops their ball or something, you know. <laughs> so it, it, it's like we're all rallying to get that live feel. Yes. Um, and uh, Gleeb and I just, he, you know, we, we sorted some games out and you can get suggestions because there's a person who, you know, runs the thing. They can say, this is the suggestion or whatever, you know. Right. Um, and, and, but I said to Gleeb before we started, I said, I remind, you know, I'm reminded of Robin. Like, mm. what would Robin do? And I thought Robin would charge headlong into this. I, I told him one time Robin and I were put in a studio together for for audible or somebody and we were just let, let loose for like an hour and there was no program they just wanted us to do something i found a transcript of it the other day i've never found the tape of it oh. and it was it's astonishing because i'll say something and then he'll go off for a year right, <laughs> and right. It, he was so fucking creative and said and also like instantaneous characters um, i said went to morocco all of a sudden he's doing a stubby british guy at like an orgy you know then <laughs> <laughs> so I said to Glebe, uh, I did that with Robin. Let's, let's do that. You know? So I just threw some insane, weird, surreal premise at him. And he's a good improviser. He jumped right in on it. We just changed topics and kept it directional, you know, like always, you know, t tangential alignment. And, uh, then we played some games at the end, you know, like world's worst and scenes sure. from a hat and stuff like that. Uh, and it, so it worked. And I think people really liked it. I was so hyper and in such a state all day that I literally passed out after the show and didn't do the meet and greet that I had signed up for. So <laughs> I got a little overexcited. So this Saturday I'm doing my podcast and I'm going to try to re, you know, do it like Bart Lubitsch, like, it's the intimacy because we're all on the phone looking at each other and we're all in each other's ears, literally whispering at each other. Yes. And I'm going to have my dope and my drinks and I'm going to put a fucking suit on. I'm going to show everybody what I'm wearing and, you know, fancy shoes and the whole enchilada. <laughs> cologne and, you know, well, from, try to from, make it. From the waist up. Fancy from the right? waist up. Uh, I've, uh, so that's, yeah, that's the... And I'm doing another one at the end of June as well. So I'm going to try to do at least one a month as long as we're not nailed down. And, you know, the other end of it is I'm going to have to adapt like everybody else because my business is live touring. And I don't see that coming back for a while. I mean, not to be depressing about it, but it's certainly not coming back in the next few months. No, but it's been interesting to see how, um, you know, as adaptable as humans are, how people are taking to these video technologies and things like that. And I'm anticipating that it's that's going to step up. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we have like desktop holograms by the end of the year. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's going to be like Star Wars. We're all going to be little Princess Leia's coming out of our 2 d 2s and uh, <laughs> and other references from the 70s uh, <laughs> that I specialize in. Um, I agree. I think the best part of this is it broke a lot of things that people thought were hard and fast yeah. truths. Was, and show business wasn't immune at all to this comedy, certainly. Um, one that you have to have live performers in a sweaty club with servers and overpriced chicken wings yeah, that we've seen. You don't have to have, I see live performances by the comedy store players in London, 
the groundlings are doing it here. I'm trying to get the Who's Line group that I'm in uh, to, you know, put one together. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm working with a sketch group I used to work with in North Hollywood. Uh, right. And now we're scattered all over the country, literally, and we're trying to figure out, can we get back together and do this virtually using Zoom or TikTok or something to present uh, sketch material? I think you can. Uh, I was talking to our old friend Michael Bozier the other day, and that's what he said he was doing. He was working on a sketch thing with some guys, and it's like, I think we have to be inventive. I think we... For me, the big turning point was uh, 10 years ago when I started the podcast because I was, you know, a a headliner on the road for a lot of my life. And uh, I was in Atlanta or somewhere, and I remember being so bored after a show and so sick of my own material (laughs) And, (laughs) and my lack of innovation at that point. And then the podcast came along. And it threw me right back in the middle of everything. I made a video. I did a book. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden I was, I felt like I was something in comedy instead of just this guy who was going around the country playing clubs. And then the last few years we got a new uh, uh, management uh, with the group I'm in with Ryan Stiles. And, oh, my God, we did 100 dates last year. Mm. And we had 75 dates on the books this year. And we weren't even booked through the whole year yet. We hadn't finished booking the year. So this put a hole in the heart of that. So I think we have to come up with doing it once a month or something just so people can still remember that we are this gigantic touring machine. Well, you know, (laughs) you know, it's funny, too, because as I've thought about it and I've got, you know, uh, as many friends as you do doing stand up or, or connected yeah. to it, the idea that you get into stand up and you're you're your own boss, right? I mean, yeah, you're working at clubs and doing that, and now you're again your own boss. Now there's no clubs, so how do you get your stuff out there? And now you're running it. You're setting up the zooms or going to a place like this online place you're talking about. Yes, it's all up to us now, uh, and that was, I think, what I. I meant like, you know, when podcasting came along, um, who was it who said to me, I think it was Doug Benson's manager said to me, Bruce Smith said, we've taken back the means of production. Yeah, definitely. This is another giant evolutionary step in that as far as comedy goes, because like you say now, there's, there's no boss, you know, my PA guy called, uh, emailed me a couple weeks ago (laughs) and he said, and he's a veteran, man. He goes, the clubs are going to start opening up in the summer. Where do you want to play? And I just like, what? So I sent him a list of clubs, but I was like, I don't think they're going to be opening up. Because I think you'll find that next to a church, the worst place you could be is in a nightclub in a basement, <laughs> breathing the same air with 300 people. That was never good in the best of times. Right? So we have to reimagine it. In California, I would suggest because we have the weather that you move things outdoors at mm-hmm. first, even if it's to a park or something, set up a PA cause all this can be done and, uh, uh, and use outdoor venues a lot more. And then you can really spread people out at an outdoor venue and make sure that they don't bloody breathe on each other. And also it's been proven that outdoor things are way safer, Yeah, way I- safer than indoor things. If you, as soon as you put a bunch of people in, room and have someone screaming or singing that's when they're you know the trouble begins but you put them out on a a park or the hollywood bowl or whatever the problem of course with that is the people who run venues and stuff 
if they can even stay alive through this uh, financially, are going to have to have, what, half to a third of the crowds they've had in. They can't have right. 15,000 people at Hollywood Bowl anymore. My guess is they'll let 5,000 in, and then you've got to deal with the bathroom situation. Well, I think, well, you know, I mean, one thing we might see from that is a hybrid situation where you've got, you know, a third of the crowd that was there live, but then you've got, you know, five times the number of people watching on Zoom. Who have to, who have to buy a ticket, and that's how you monetize it. Yeah, you know? exactly. But they're safe at home. They don't have to fight crowds. They don't have to fight traffic. They're not yep. worried about getting disease. I wish I'd invented the Zoom app. I know, right? You know, it's so funny. You remember Stephen B.? course uh he and i had an idea and this was like 1997 when the internet was just starting we said what if there was like a virtual comedy club where the performers are on stage and there's a video feedback so they can see the audience at home but there's nobody in the room uh-huh and we started to pursue it and we said ah man just all the technology is way too crude to pull this off yeah it was then and no bandwidth right but uh i like to think we were visionaries you are <laughs> Honestly, if someone had started working on this um, um, twenty three years ago or whatever, yeah, w- imagine where we'd be now. You, like you say, we would be at the hologram stage where you would. There's literally your your, your phone is projecting, yeah, something into the middle of the room, and then you're in a voice. Do you ever read Fahrenheit four fifty one? Oh, absolutely. One of my favorite parts of the book, other than Ray Bradbury's humanism, is that. He was so prescient when he wrote it. There's a soap opera that plays every day, mm-hmm. and your whole living room is screens, the walls. <laughs> right. And the, the soap opera is called The Family, and it's an interactive soap opera. You're in it, and it's happening around you. And everyone's on drugs. His wife, the fireman's wife, when he comes home, she's always shit-fist on pills and alcohol. And I was like, you nailed exactly what was going to happen to all of us. Yes. The, re- the reality TV thing took over. This is why we're in the state we're in. And it's like, yeah. But he, he realized in the fifties that eventually we would just be surrounding ourselves, like Aldous Huxley realized, and drowning ourselves in um, entertainment and ephemera. But now, on the upside of the pandemic, is that it's useful. It's keeping us from going mad. Oh, absolutely! Everybody's using the phone again. You're talking to people again, like the old days when we used to fucking call each other. Yeah, or even visiting. I mean, I've I've had virtual coffees with people that I, you know, have always been meaning to get back together with, and now I see them like once a week. Exactly, and also everyone's accessible now. This has created a strange community of uh, everyone's approachable. Um, I have people approach me who I don't know at all. I did a, a, a I just taped a, a uh, awards thing for a girls uh, sports team in Canada. The guy said, would you do this? Would you read out the winners? I'm like, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I might have not done that before. Yeah, I might have been nice enough to do it, but now it feels like we have to just do anything we can to kind of help. So I have politicians following me on Twitter that are senators and stuff. <laughs> really? And, and sometimes I, you know, I'll make a comment on someone's article in, in, in like the Washington Post or the LA Times and they'll write me back or I will write them and they write back. Like everybody's, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. We're all kind of holding hands, if you yeah, know what I mean. I was, I was having trouble with a computer uh, app I was hooking up. And the guy who literally wrote the program saw my note on somewhere that I was complaining about. He goes, well, what problem are you having? 
And yeah. I had the dialogue with the guy that made the thing. Yeah. So he could tell you exactly what to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's awesome. Uh, I'm going to have, I, ha- I haven't figured out how to work my microphone yet. And I haven't figured out a bunch of programs. And now it occurs to me that I could actually go to the places that I bought them from and ask them because they'll have to talk to me now. <laughs> That's right. They can't escape. You just reminded me because I have a snowball mic and I can't get it, my computer to recognize it. And I was in snowball and where is it? In Terra Hut. There's a gigantic <laughs> building, the snowball <laughs> building and all their gear is there and they have a giant museum of, you know, instruments yeah. and shit and, and musicians come. Everybody that plays there goes there. Uh, our keyboard player was losing his mind there. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so those guys are accessible now. Well, I was going to say, they always used to email me every two seconds and go, how's it going? And now I feel like I should go, hey, I actually have a, an issue here, and you, <laughs> can you solve it? <laughs> and even better, could you get on the phone or the computer with me and solve it, you know? Yeah. Instead of just emailing me some oblique instructions that I wouldn't be able to understand. So I think I think that's the good part. Like, I wrote the LA Times um, style critic that I loved his column, and he wrote me back. And... Uh, I'm talking to reporters and um, news figures uh, that that I would have never had access to. They would why would they talk to me? And uh, I also think that in in the social media world, I know there's a word for it. I'm sure like cocooning or bubbling or something. But you seek to look for opinions that you support. Yeah. And I think that because of the madness right now. I said it to Jennifer this morning, and she said the reason is um, everyone feels really, you know, pulled on. And so people are being nicer about following people that they feel are at least giving them some positive feedback, you know. Yes. And that they're not just throwing this into the wind here because it often feels that way. Yeah, I think I'm also getting the sense the the sort of sense of anonymity that people were enjoying on the internet is sort of beginning to thin because yep. now everyone is accessible and somebody can tell you who that guy is that called you out on something. Yep. It's, you have to be careful what you say and uh uh you have to be yeah, it's 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 no, we're all in each other's lap right now. Strangely, the thing that I thought was because I'm such a pro live performance person. I, I really always felt it was the source of everything. And the reason why I could, um, you know, play every night was because I love it. Yeah. You know, people go, don't you get tired of traveling? Uh, and last year we went to Japan, Scotland, Paris, Dublin, London, Edinburgh. You know, we were in Edinburgh for weeks. We were in Tokyo for a week. We were in... You know what I mean? Like, how, yeah. and that doesn't include. We went to Alaska last year as well. Wow! And <laughs> Thanksgiving for to do shows in Fairbanks and Anchorage, which <laughs> is crazy. And then we went to Nova Scotia at the beginning of this year. Like, literally, I've been around the world about five times. You know, in the last couple of years, and I love it. I don't mind travel. I was always, you know, yeah. the accommodations are decent, and you know, flying's a drag. But now I almost nostalgic because <laughs> I'm not convinced yet about planes. They say they're pretty safe, but uh, in any case, uh, I'm having to adapt to that. And uh, the best part of it is, you know, like it, spending time at home is something I haven't really done the last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. 
you start finding out all sorts of uh, stuff about where you live <laughs> that you, you know, little uh, closets and things you didn't even think about and how many stairs there are. <laughs> I've uh, cleaned the garage from top to bottom, thrown out everything. <laughs> I have gone through my high school shit, which I just didn't, really didn't want to do. Uh, I've, I've started being the husband that I should have been for the last few <laughs> years and cleaning more. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hand washing the car is new to me. <laughs> I watered the garden. You know, I, I actually pull my weight now. So nice. That nice. that's been good. I've taught myself to not be a selfish piece of shit. Um, you know, slowly. I'm a man, so the learning curve is. Oh yeah. No, no. Yeah. It's a very steep, steep learning yeah, steep, curve. Steep, steep curve. But like, you know. Uh, I also try with the comedy jokes uh, to um, inject a note of hope because this is like uh, a sentence, you know, you're, 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 you have to stay here for this long. Yes. And so you have to remember that there's a future and that you're in the future. And, you know, people who've been incarcerated, people who've been kidnapped, will tell you that it's a terrible day-to-day thing that they have to keep the focus on what's going to happen when it's over. And uh, I think, you know, we're in the same position. There's so much craziness and so much we can't control. Um, there is, it's, funny, that, it's funny, though, as, uh, you know, when you've got a facile mind, I'm busier now than I was before the lockdown, right? I've got my regular work. I've got the, I've gotten back into the podcast and, doing these things. Uh, but I keep reading about people that are going out of their mind cause they're just bored. And, uh, what does the smartest man in the world have as far as advice for people like that, that can't kind of pull it together to keep themselves entertained? What do they do to keep from going completely mad? Right. Well, what was the old saying? Uh, consistency is the hobgoblin of little, little minds. minds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think when people lose their, uh, routine, that's when they start to lose a sense of themselves. Hmm. Uh, if you're used to going to work every day and putting in eight hours, or uh, any performer will tell you, if you're used to traveling all day, which is what you do as a performer, and then you play at night, uh, you're like a ball player. Um, it, it, ups, it upends people's worlds, and they. I haven't been as productive as I might. Like I said, I've done a bunch of virtual shows, and I usually do a couple podcasts a week at least uh, with other people. Yeah. You know, anybody that asks me now, I'm like, sure. <laughs> Not that I wouldn't have done yours anyway, Mark, of course. But, uh, um, it, I try to read every day, um, and I'm not stressing myself over, like, re- you know, reading uh, Wuthering Heights or something. <laughs> Uh, I don't have to read The Mayor of Casterbridge. I'm reading um, detective novels that I like that I've read before yeah. uh, because it, it makes me more relaxed. Um, I think rereading things you love is a good place to start because it's comfortable and it takes you away from all this. And uh, I, the people who are like, I'm learning Portuguese and I built a, you know, uh, <laughs> I built a Lusitania out of wood or whatever. And <laughs> I, I don't believe you, one. <laughs> and two, I think everybody has to be let off the hook for getting a little crazy about this. Yes. There's a lot of elements we're talking about here. Um, uh, 
I know you say people are going wild. Uh, they're bored, and it's like, well, you should try to apply yourself to stuff. But if you can't, I think old familiar things that you love, wallowing in them is uh, comforting. I think yeah. that, um, you know, I love old movies, so I'm never bored for that. I always watch. <laughs> like the other night I said to Jennifer, I'd never seen um, The 39 Steps. Okay. I'm a huge movie fan, but somehow slipped through. So we're like, okay, let's watch it. And, you know, because we're at home and it's us, we stop, we talk in the middle of it. It took us, I think, two nights to watch it, you know? Yeah. And it's superb. Uh, I, I think that for our listeners who don't like old movies, you might want to reconsider um, <laughs> because this is a really good time to catch up on all of them. Um, you're not going to have this kind of time again. When the, when the world begins again, it's going to be a weird, like Omega man process. We're all going to have to like filter back into civilization and trust each other. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's going to be a really long thing. Um, I'm in a way, glad i'm as old as i am because i've got to do things and i've been running around like a mad person for 20 years so i don't feel it, I, I what i can't imagine is being a kid mark or being really old and having this come into your life it seems like a terrible burden you know yes um but then i think about my parents um who i didn't particularly like but <laughs> they we're old. Uh, you know, I was the youngest of the lot. And uh, they had been through the Depression in World War II, which they talked about. You know, my dad was a sailor in the war, and he talked about being a sailor and what the war was like. And my mother was a mother during the war. Um, she was already married and had kids, you know. Yeah. And uh, I can't think of anything but that that compares to this because, you know, you and I are old enough. Yeah. We lived through we lived through Vietnam. We lived through uh, um, Martin Luther King and RFK um, yeah. being assassinated. We lived through shootings at the president Gerald Ford, Reagan, uh, 9/11, all the terrorism of the 70s when the planes were being hijacked, and it seemed like there was an uprising in every country. And None of that compares to this. No, it's all very different compared to this. And I, not, I think about the the kids that this is going to be their defining element. That, this is their depression. Right? It is. I said it to the, the group of girls I was addressing today. I said, this will be the defining moment of your lives. But know that when you come out of this, you have to treat each other with respect and empathy and power forward and don't let anyone tell you no because everything's changed there's no more rules you know the rules are off you're going to be educated at home you're not you're going to do what you want with your life you know what i mean like i don't i'm hoping this breaks down a bunch of barriers let's hope man let's hope right right i don't want anyone to get too down because it's it's so difficult during this time um there is a tomorrow uh, and there is a day without um Orange 45. And <laughs> he's, remember that this isn't personal by him. He's acting this way because um, he's being empowered to act this way. Yeah. And that it's all about chaos with him. And so it's awesome to take a minute and like look at a flower or go online. Every museum in the world has virtual tours of all their artwork. There's another thing that's really fun to do. And the Monterey Bay Aquarium has 
pages that you can watch on your computer of just jellyfish swimming and stuff. It's very calming. It's wonderful. Awesome news. Yeah. So there's a lot of free online shit. Yeah, my my personal uh, work hack for my Zoom background, by the way, is I found out if I go to Zillow and look up really expensive property, <laughs> I just I just keep screenshotting everybody's cool interiors and use those as my own. <laughs> That's fantastic. I saw Green Apple Books over on Clement was put up a bunch of backdrops of their store so that you could look like you had a massive collection of books. Oh. That's it's like you were broadcasting from an August library. You know, and I thought fantastic. that was hilarious. That's fantastic. I had uh, a, a couple of virtual lunches with uh, my friend Sammy Weijin, who I used to teach improv with in the city. And he had gotten at the time a couple of pictures of the Pinecrest Lounge. Oh, my God. I remember the Pinecrest. Yeah, or Diner, Pinecrest Diner. Yeah, it was And downtown. so he, he sent me one of them, and he used one of them. And so we were having our virtual lunch at the Pinecrest. Oh, my God, that place. I used to go there and get patty melts and shit. It was in the theater district. Yep, yep. Was that funny? Yeah. <laughs> so I recall open all night kind of place? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was right down there in Tenderloin. Yeah, it, was, it had its moments. I know that's that's the thing is I don't I don't want to think about the Jennifer and I had a, you know I'm always in the city for New Year's and we'll see about this year I don't see it happening but it could um, and we always go to different places for New Year's uh, everything was bought food with us and we have all our favorite places in the city to eat at and usually we would go to like Slanador or uh, you know someplace on New Year's Day for survivor's breakfast <laughs> and uh last year fantastically um i went online and john's grill had a table and oh. i hadn't been to john's grill in a thousand years amazing love that place i know right and they've got the maltese falcon upstairs and uh, yeah it's just smashing yeah i you know i got caught in some downtown gridlock traffic back when there was that uh, towards the end of last year. And I just, I pulled over and parked and I wasn't going anywhere. I had to go. And I got at the counter at Tadich's grill. Oh my God. I just that. had a steak and a martini. And right? when I left, there was no more traffic. Yeah. Fantastic. I had never been to Tadich till a couple of years ago and I made Jennifer take me there and we had a big ass seafood lunch at the counter. Yeah. You know, like petroli battered petroli sole and that kind of San Francisco stuff. Uh, and John's Girl's exactly the same way. The food's from 1925. Yeah. She had the Dashiell Hammett plate, which is lamb chops with tomatoes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, the one down here is Musso, and I have a really close relationship with them. The owner of, of Musso down here, Mark, I shot a comedy thing there a few years ago. Oh, yeah. And no, no, we no, became pals. And then they had their 100th anniversary last year because it was opened in 1919. It's like the oldest joint in Hollywood. Wow. And the Derby's closed and Chasen's is closed, but the Musos made it. And it uh, looks exactly like it did. And dig this. They were in the middle of renovating a back room. They were going to have a party room finally after all these years. Mm -hmm. After 100 years, they were in the middle of doing that. So, ugh. <laughs> That's not getting a whole lot of use right now. And not for a while. And yeah. it was one of the last places I went, a big crowded ass place. I think it was even in March, right? It seems like so long ago. I, know. I can remember the last things I did, of course, that we did out in the world. And we took a buddy to Musso's for his birthday and uh, and got it on, you know, steaks and hash browns. And, nice. you know. yeah. <laughs> so it'll all happen again, but that'll, it'll be a different scene, I think. 
I don't know that we're going to all be crowded into restaurants and bars like we were, unless you're a goober. Not for a I while. Call. Not for a while. Yeah. Interesting. Craig, thanks so much. Like I said, it's great to catch up with you, and uh, we should do you it more know. often just to catch up. Okay, we will. <laughs> and uh, we, we have will. to have a we have to have a discussion about what's what's going on with our friend Mister Will Durst, who's uh, yeah been a longtime contributor to uh, to this podcast, and uh, we sure miss his commentaries. I'll tell you that. Um, he's going to have, we're having a benefit for him. Debbie just asked me, would you be willing to do a 10 minute set for Will on Thursday, July 9th at 7 to 8.30 our time, West Coast time? So there will be a virtual benefit for Will. I don't know where it's going to be yet, but just so you know. Nice. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely do our bit to publicize that too for people. Cause uh, like I said, I miss him like crazy and, um, Will Durst is one of my mentors. He hates it when I say that, but he can't, he can't come up and say anything now. So I can say it. That's right. Um, on his birthday, several, maybe a decade or two ago, we were in Scottsdale together and I wrote him a very long letter about how much he meant to me. And he didn't, you know, he was, you know how he is. Yes, absolutely. I could see. I think he appreciated it, but he was also like, I don't really need you to tell me this. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't like the pressure. (laughs) <laughs> not really. And then, so since he's been uh, down but not out, uh, we did a podcast in San Francisco as late as January. We did one in the end of January at Sketchfest. Yeah. And I dedicated a huge portion of it to telling stories about Will. Um, and I'm going to tell you one last one, and then I will let you get off the phone. Me and Will and Debbie were playing golf once at some little nine hole in the city. And these four douchebags cheat up behind us without us you know we weren't far enough away so they dropped one right near us right and debbie turned and went hey as she does and debbie of course was wearing like a giant's helmet and a you know of course shorts and her hair was you know yellow and purple yeah the debbie uniform yeah and she's furious right because the ball landed only on three feet from us so Durst goes, I'll handle this. <laughs> he walks over to this group of guys. And he doesn't, you know, no, no threatening anything. He walks over. They're in close conference, right? There's gestures back toward us. They all look over in their little golf hats. And he walks back. And they get in their cart. And he, I go, what the devil did you say? And he goes, I told him you were in the state finals in 1977 and got hit in the head with a ball and you haven't been the same since. <laughs> <laughs> so when they drive by, they wave at Debbie like, hi. <laughs> they, they drive past us and they go, sorry, hi, how are you? Like that. And I was crying. Debbie went like that. Oh my god! <laughs> she spazzed at them, and it was just glory. Oh god! Ah, oh, so good to see old friends. I'll tell you. Hey. Thank you. Yeah, it is. All right, pal. I'll let you go, and we'll let's talk again soon. Very good, Greg Proops. Thank you so much. Uh, continued uh, good luck adjusting. We're always adjusting every moment now. Right. And uh, let's catch up again soon. We will. Thanks, Mark. Take care, pal.
This episode of Succotash is sponsored in part by TrumpPoetry.com, a chronological ode to a fake muse. Enjoy a rhyming spin on the news of the day every day, as well as over 500 archived daily verses thoroughly covering the White House, America, and the world with a sticky caramel coating that's impossible to remove. That's TrumPoetry.com. Everything you need to know in rhyming couplets. Trump Poetry. That's going to do it for this edition of Succotash Shut-In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package. Thanks once again to Greg Proops for stopping by, virtually speaking, and palavering with me. Don't forget to check out Greg's Soundcast, The Smartest Man in the World, available at Apple Podcasts, The Laughable App, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever fine soundcasts are streamed and or downloaded. Before you know it, Epi 206 will be here, hosted by Tyson Saner. But in the meantime, if you'd like to email me with some suggestions about shows you'd like to hear sampled on our show, shoot me a note at mark at succotashshow.com. That's M-A-R-C at succotashshow.com. And if you are a comedy soundcaster, stay tuned for details from our announcer, Bill Haywatt, on how you can upload a clip directly to us. I'm getting the signal from our producer, Joe Polino, that the network says we've gone way over our allotted time. So as I get out of here, let me remind you that if you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't be afraid to pass the succotash to someone that you care about. All right. Take care out there, and I'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Succotash Shut In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package, with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants, TrumpPoetry.com, and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on iHeartRadio, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on the <laughs> laughable app, and tattooed on your mother's rear end. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Succotash Show. Email us at marc at succotashshow.com. Or call into the Succotash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcast directly to us using our direct upload link at hightail.com slash you slash Succotash. Production of Succotash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is still Kenny Durgis. And until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please wash your hands and pass the Succotash. Goodbye. This has been a Succotash Patch production.